You are tuned into the only Rio Grande Valley podcast on iTunes. It's Fitz and ADB. Whether it's serious sports talk, they're a team that runs the football and they all very much, like to control the clock, or something a little off topic. Random progressive thought. I think they need to come out of a giant anthill with a slide. <laughs> uh, okay, come on, man. Fitz and ADB. Start it up. Uh, the district races in Valley football are started to take shape. The Rio Grande Valley Vipers basketball team, the D-League team, the 2010 League champions. Well, they got a new head coach at the helm. Baseball is getting down to its final week, and we got a new sports movie out this weekend. Tons of stuff on the only sports podcast in the RGV. This is Fitz and ADB, powered by 956sports.com. Email us at fitzandadb at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at fitzandadb, plus find us on Facebook by searching for Fitz and ADB. Welcome to the show, everyone. I'm Alex Obario, the RGV Sports Guy. You can call me ADB. And, of course, my tag team partner, the one and only Brendan Fitzgerald, sports anchor, reporter extraordinaire of Action Force Sports. Fitz, what is up, my friend? Uh, I'm having a bad day, pal. I am having. I, I hear a you, bro. I hear day. you, bro. I'm having the same bad day as you, but I'll, I'll let you continue. We're recording this on Sunday, and for the first time since um, I believe the year was 2003, when the Buffalo Bills defeated our beloved New England Patriots, it was a streak of uh, 15 straight games against those Bills, and uh, couldn't pull it out today. But I'm having a bad day. You're gonna have to carry me today, man. I'm really in the dumps. A uh, couple of reasons. Patriots lost, number one. They were up 21 nothing, and they lose at 34-31. Um, not to mention that I went to school in upstate New York, so I have friends and Facebook friends and whatever, and now they're starting to talk their trash because they finally beat us, even though the uh, the game really doesn't mean too much in week three. But also, I was knocked out of my survivor pool this week. Oh, that no. That is just it's a punch in the stomach. I mean... I, I say, as a football fan, one of the worst days of the year is when you get knocked out of the survivor pool, and one of the best days of the year is when you get the email in August to rejoin the survivor pool. So I am going to be waiting <laughs> a long time for that now. Well, I, you know, it's funny that you talk about having a bad day. I, I could kind of figure the same same thing with you. It's not on my on my knockout pool, but... Uh, or suicide pool. It, it's my fantasy football team. We talked about how how I was starting to get back into fantasy. You're falling football. into the trap. Look at you. I, well, here's here's what happened. You know, you think you have all the the beat on all the injuries and everything that happened, but sometimes you just don't pay quite enough attention. I and I, I started Hernandez today from New England, oh. and he obviously did not play. Uh, and I have get... Jason Witten on my roster as my other tight end. I could have uh-huh. played him. I played Reggie Bush uh, at running back, and and he had a, again another awful awful game. And it's just it, it was just a bad day for my fantasy football team. I got ripped today, and then to top it all off, I had to watch you know a 28 yard game winning field goal by the Buffalo Bills to knock off New England after they had a 21 to nothing lead. And it looked like they were just going to slaughter them. Uh, I, I totally can see why you had a bad day. I'm having the same thing, pal. It's awful, isn't it? What a, what a horrendous, uh, horrendous way to, to go on week three. I was cruising along. I, you know, the, these Patriots, they, uh, they are fun to watch, but when I, I really kind of try to step outside myself and look at, uh, you, you know, look at Patriots fans ob- as objectively as I can because I think a lot of sports fans can relate to this. 
whether it's the Yankees or whether it's another just dominating force. I'm sure plenty of people in the Valley feel this way about Harlingen football. But it's one thing to watch and root for a good team. It's another thing to think that they're so good and so unbreakable that you don't know what to do when they lose a game. I mean, the Patriots have gotten to a point with me and Tom Brady, especially with what he's shown over the first few weeks, where it's like, you just have no excuse for why he would possibly have a bad game. And it's like, well, he's playing in the NFL. I mean, he's you know, he's going to have bad games once in a while. Through four interceptions, they're on the road. Buffalo has everything going forward in the second half. And it's like, I hate the feeling of being one of those fans, but you can't help it when you root for such a good team. Right. And, you know, I think the last time Tom Brady threw four interceptions was, I think, that 31 to nothing loss to the Bills back in 2003. So what I keep telling people who keep Facebooking me or texting me, I said, well, when the Patriots lost that game to Buffalo, they went started off two and two, then won the rest of their games and won the Super Bowl. So I'm not too concerned with week three. It's just it's just a tough pill to swallow when you have a big lead like that. And it looked like Tom Brady was, you know, I I don't know about you, but I kind of get get really jazzed up about Tom Brady. Like like the year that he set the touchdown record, I got really jazzed about that. To me, that was like breaking the home run record for me because Peyton Manning had it. And then I just wanted Tommy to have it just so that, you know, that he had something that Peyton Manning didn't have. Right. Uh, it, it, was, it was Super Bowl wins. Now it, now it was the touchdown championship. And I, I wanted him to, you know, to, to get up there in the yardage, win another MVP, and, and really, you know, make the discussion that much harder for people to trying to decide between Peyton Manning and Tom Brady. And then he throws four picks today. So I was Well, he's, I mean, that. he still threw, what, three touchdowns, I believe, or maybe even four. And... Uh, and he still has the most passing yards in uh, over a three-game span, more than any other quarterback in NFL history. So, as far as the record books go, as long as he doesn't throw four interceptions a game, I think the season <laughs> is still going to be a major success. How about picture the fact that he threw as many interceptions today as he did all of the 2010 season? Um, but yeah, I, I, I think I'm more upset about the survivor pool uh, being knocked out because that's so. Finite. I mean, I'm not pressing the panic button that New England is, you know, all of a sudden not going to make the playoffs or that they're all of a sudden a bad team. Your fantasy team lost today, but certainly the fantasy season is now over. I don't, or, uh, or the fantasy season is not over, but now my season for having an extra game with vested interest and a chance to win a couple thousand dollars is down yeah. the tubes, and it's uh, it stinks. I went with the Eagles. I went with Michael Vick and the Eagles over the Giants. I have a hard time believing the Giants were the same team that I watched on Monday night because even though they beat the Rams, they looked atrocious in that game. And they have so many injuries. They have a bunch of no-names at receiver, and I could just go on and on about it. And then also with the survivor pool, you say, oh, well, you're always picking between a couple of games. Uh, I could have picked the Lions, who ended up coming back to win. I could have picked uh, the Ravens, who were at St. Louis. So it's... uh, it's a bad feeling. Let's uh, let's get it out of here. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I would talk more about it, but let, let's move on. Let's, let's keep talking on the football theme because we'll talk about a little more NFL a little bit later on in the show. Uh, let's talk about Valley sports, Valley High School football uh, to be specific. Uh, district play got started in in the five A ranks, and, and and there were some really good games on the slate. I thought, um, but I, I'd like to let's talk about first the game in thirty two four A, the game a battle of Star County that. 
was never a big game, or it was a big game for Stark County, but it was never a big game in terms of playoff positioning in either the 4A ranks uh, or when Rio Grande City was in the 5A. Rio Grande City versus Roma, both of those teams undefeated in district play going into that game, and uh, it, ended up, it ended up being a barn burner, and Rio Grande City putting up 61 points. It was just an absolutely insane game. Uh, it was a game I, did, I was at, uh, and but but to see both of those teams actually be this good early in the season. Roma didn't show it there at the end, but the fact that they were undefeated in district going into that game was important. And Real Grand City, you know, Coach Longoria, we, I thought that was going to be a two or three year progression for them to get to the to this point. But wow, wh- what a turnaround for Real Grand City! Yeah, what was the final of that game? Sixty-one to. It was sixty-one twenty-eight, I believe it was. Yeah, it was 61-28. close, and then. And then they what? They pulled away in the fourth quarter. Is that what happened? Well, that's pretty much what. He, I mean, it went back and forth in the early moments of the game. Roma actually struck first. They had the first possession of the game, uh, and then Rio Grande City tied it up real quick. It went back and forth. Roma had a twenty-one fourteen lead, and then Rio Grande City uh, tied the game at twenty-one. And it looked like it was going to go twenty-one all at the half, but then uh, th- there was some wet field conditions. It was rain up in the Star County area. Uh, they had a lot of problems on special teams on, uh, Roma did, and most specifically this one at the end of the first half with about 10 sec, uh, about 15 seconds left. They were punting the football on fourth down and the punter couldn't handle the snap or the snap sailed over his head. I, I forget, I forget the situation because there were a number of bad snaps. Uh, he ended up trying to get, you know, a desperation punt off after retrieving it somewhere around the 10 yard line. Uh, punted it, but ended up punting it out of bounds. So, Real Grand City takes over with seven seconds left in the 10-yard line. First play, they throw it in the end zone, they score touchdowns, and they get the two-point conversion on the coach's nightmare two-point conversion play. <laughs> and uh, so they go up 29-21 at the half. Real Grand City gets the football first in the second half, and the, the defense of Roma had no no way of stopping Real Grand City's offense. I think they punted once in the entire game, and uh, you know they just did not have an answer for for all of the weapons that they're, they're throwing out there. They've got a really good receiving core, a fantastic uh, running back, and um, you know they just poured on the points. They could not be stopped. So once they took the fourteen point advantage, they got a defensive stop, and they just put too much separation between uh, between Roma and you know they had to throw the ball more than I think they would have liked to. I ended up playing catch up and and then and then there was like a pick six and something else happened yeah. after that and that's why the blowout happened. But it was a very, very close game early on, but the confidence just kinda of punched them in the gut after that special teams miscue at the end of the first half. I think Rio Grande City, I agree with you. I'm kinda of shocked by that. When you look at one and nine last year, one in uh I think they were one in seven in district. Um just yeah, I mean, usually no matter what, uh, no matter what coach comes in, uh, who he has coming back, it's real tough to go from one and nine uh, in the you know complete bottom of the district um, right up, especially you know with a new coach coming in and putting in a new offensive system. I mean, he totally revamped um, the the Rattler program right down to the helmets. They wear red helmets now instead of white ones, and I. I was out actually out in Star County this week. I was covering the game and and uh, kind of getting some preview interviews on on what's coming up. And uh, I was talking to Coach Carlos Longoria, Rio Grande City, and I said last time I saw you guys, it was in this 
it was in the spring and you had white helmets. He's like, I wanted to get every piece of the mentality from the previous regime and the previous the way the program has gone out of here. And it looks like it uh, it's worked so far. Yeah, it definitely has. And, and uh, like I said, uh, you and I talked about it on the on the sports uh, or the uh, the preview show the, on Action 4, uh, what coaches we thought would make an impact. I, I, I thought Carlos Longoria would make an impact, I remember saying on the show, but I did not think it, it was going to be this strong of an impact considering, you know, the district they were in, you know, all eyes pointed to and – they, and they haven't played Ed Couch else yet and they haven't played Westlake East yet, um, you know, but – because the way veterans was shaping up that season, you thought maybe they'd have a shot at the fourth seed, but Roma was going to be very good this year. So you thought, you know, if there was a game they needed to win, it was the game this this week that they won against Roma. Now they put themselves in really prime position, and they're a team that can score quickly. And for 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 their matchup in two weeks against Westlake East, Rio Grande City has a bye week next week. That's a huge game because as we saw last year in the veterans. Uh, game against Westlake East at Bobby Lackey Stadium. Veterans was able to jump on them early, and, you know, Westlake East has, has a tough time coming back when they have to throw the football. Right. And uh, so if Rio Grande City is able to jump on them early, you know, Westlake East might have a hard time coming back. Uh, but so that's going to be a real interesting game coming up in two weeks as Rio Grande City uh, tries to, you know, change the culture there and get back to the playoffs for the first time. Geez, since probably I was in high school. I think you have to look, too. Let's take a look at this. Carlos Longoria has been around the Valley uh, his whole life. He's a Valley native. He's been coaching in the Valley for a long, long time, and he was at Mission Veterans, if I'm not mistaken, before taking the job yes. in Rio Grande City. I think it says a lot about what other people thought of what Rio Grande City had to build on, the fact that he left Mission Veterans, a program that was you know, really caught on last year, but he was willing to leave that program to go take the Rio Grande City head coaching job. I think some of these coaches sometimes, I think you have to look at some of the coaches, you know, of course they all think that their way is going to work. But uh, I think you have to look at when they go someplace that they might have an idea of why it's going to work. Uh, you know, Rio Grande City, it's way out in Stark County, and he's from Hidalgo, and he's been coaching, you know, kind of towards the middle of the valley. Um he chose to go out there, and I think that uh, there's been talent there that hasn't been used in the right way in the past. That's at least what I've been right. hearing. And so when he goes out there, puts in a spread offense, uh, a really motivating coach. It seems like a guy. I love talking to him every time I've talked to him. And uh, me and Clay Williams, um, you, you know, just around the newsroom here, have talked about how nice of a guy he is and how uh, friendly of a guy he is. And, you know, Clay would mention that, he always gets the kids to play for him. And so I think that it just took the right person in Rio Grande City to uh, to make those major strides that they've obviously have not taken a long time in making. Yeah, and and, for, and Carlos Longoria's case, I mean, let, let, he was actually let go in Mission Veteran. So they, they, they just didn't see him as a fit there. And I think Carlos found the right fit going to Rio Grande City. They needed the right guy, and he needed the right program to go to. And, uh, you know, he had always had success wherever he had been, and it wasn't quite getting there fast enough for, you know, the folks in it, uh, in Mission CISD. But he found the right program in Rio Grande City, trying to change the culture there. And it, it, it's ended up working out great so far for Rio Grande City. I know it just started, but, 
again, it's all about changing the culture, and sometimes it's just about the right fit. And and he he said something uh, after the game that he's especially after that coach's nightmare play. Uh, for those who aren't familiar, that you know the running back takes the ball and basically throws the football over his head, and there's a receiver ready to make the catch. Um, he said, "I have to put plays in like that so I can make it fun. I need to make it fun for these guys because yeah. then that r- really goes into what we're trying to do here. The kids have fun, then they listen to what we're trying to accomplish, and uh, you know, and then try to get them to take that next step. And I don't, I don't even think he expected to be." Uh, where he's at right now, and especially after the first two losses, I mean, they took they took a couple losses on the chin the first couple of weeks, and but they really turned it around since that Mercedes game that to start district play. They knocked off Valley View in a comeback fashion, and then a real dominant victory over Roma, who was expected to be probably the third best team in that district. I think also you have to look at making it fun, and where it works, and where you kind of almost have to do it. I mean. When you look at the Rio Grande City program, which has been down, or other programs that have been down, these coaches want numbers. They want kids in the school to want to play football. They want to make it uh, the thing to do when you get to high school, go out for the football team and get the athletes to play football and not kind of be spread around because they'll say, well, football is a lot of running, it's a lot of weightlifting, it's a lot of hard work, and it's not much fun. When you have a coach that mixes the fun in with everything else, they're going to just increase their numbers of kids that want to play um the kids you know once they see some success and have some fun then they want to work hard then it becomes some you know a type of a program um but but for those programs that are down you know for for years at a time with with a coach that's been in there it it's it makes sense that he makes it fun because that's only going to help the overall program as they go forward i want to bring up this too where does roma go now because Roma, we talked about both of these teams being unbeaten um, in district entering this game, which is true, but Roma was only 1-0. and So it wasn't like, right. you know, uh, this huge late-season matchup. Roma expected to be, by many people, the third-best team in the district, like you just said, a playoff team for the first time in school history. I, I wonder if they maybe are beginning to doubt themselves or maybe have been kind of popped in the mouth a little bit and say, Wait a second. This is not how it's supposed to go. We're not supposed to lose to Rio Grande City. They're supposed to be at the bottom. We were four and six in district last year. We're supposed to take the next step. Now all of a sudden they're one and one, and uh, you know they have West Lacoe East next week, I believe. Uh, yes. And so I don't know. I, I hope the Gladiators aren't shaken up too much, but they got to get back to the drawing board and figure some things out because this was the year a lot of people had high hopes for them. Yeah, I was talking to one of the coaches uh, after the game, and he's like, "Well, we 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 got we got to make sure that this isn't become a confidence letdown for us. We need to get right back to work because we can't let the outcome of this game dictate what happens. Because we play a much tougher team, especially on defense uh, next week in Westlake East, and uh, you know maybe it's going to help them the fact that they get right back to work. If they had had their bye week this week, I think it would have been been uh, been awful." Um, so I think the right thing is happening and that they're going to get right back to it and play Westlake East. 
but yeah, you're right. You know, and 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 Roma's been in these situations before where they've started three and zero, you know, with a couple non district wins, and then they win their first district game, and you're like, oh, is this the year that Roma's finally going to break through? And then they end up having a tailspin, a confidence, you know, where they'll have a back and forth game, and then they'll lose it, and that breaks the confidence for the entire year. Kids will quit the program, and then whatever. Uh, I think I think they've changed the culture in that a little bit, but. Um, but yeah, this has the potential to be a snowball effect type of loss for them, especially the way they lost. As important of a game that is to that community uh, against Rio Grande City, to lose it in that way um, really has a chance to really have this program take a tailspin. I hope it doesn't, and I hope we get a competitive game next week. But you know, they got to get right back to work. And Westlake East, I, I'll, you know, you, you will probably predict that it's not a winnable game for them considering how good Wessico East has been but Roma can't look at it that way they need to try to take some positives out of the game coming up so they can at least put themselves in a position to compete you know for that third and eventually fourth spot in in uh, district play and I want to say too back to Rio Grande City real quick three and oh now uh in district 32-4a still a long ways to go but they have almost kind of put in very uh, dark pencil uh, their names in that third slot in 32-4A, if not better if they can pull an upset. But uh, they still have Hidalgo, Mission Veterans, La Jolla Juarez, Lincoln, all on the schedule in District 32-4A. All those teams have been down. Um, I'd say look out for the Rattlers. They might be in the postseason. Yeah, no, I, I think you can start to pencil them in. Uh, this district always, though, at the bottom, always comes down to matchups. And Real Grand City um, certainly has a potent offense. Um, and I think they can score, at least they figured out that they can score in just about anybody. But uh, a lot of it runs, you know, runs through, you know, having a good running game to start off. Daryl Lopez, their big, their big time uh, tailback, uh, you know, he's a big time power runner, but he needs the holes in front of him. And if you get run into a defensive line where they can't, you know, set up the pass with his running game, they could be in trouble. But, uh, you know, and, and defensively, I mean, they did give up 28 points. Uh, to Roma, so they need they need to watch out because you know Ed Couch also has shown that they can score on on anybody and at will. And uh, Westlake East, you know, if they jump on you early, it's hard to come back on them. So uh, you know those are going to be two matchups they got to watch out for. But you know don't you know don't be surprised if you know they run into a, a hiccup game, you know, a game that should be winnable that, that that they fall short. Let's not let's not put them too far ahead, but of what they've done and they've accomplished some great things, but they've still had some pretty embarrassing losses the first two weeks of the season. And, you you know, you would think they won't turn back into that team, but obviously that team was the same one that they had that won 61, 28 is the same team that lost. Well, I think it was 41 to nothing to, to uh, Paul. Um, Let's take a wait and approach with Rio Grande city. Well, anything else jump at you, jump out at you over the weekend uh, in this district opener for the 5A schools? I thought everything pretty much went as planned. I think Westlaco was in a bit more of a dogfight than they expected. But other than that, I would say par for the course for the weekend, right? Yeah, I think so. I think Mac High showed me, you know, even though they lost, that they're they're a team to be reckoned with in 35A. Uh, I was a little surprised to see Palmview beat Mission 21 to seven. Yeah, I was surprised um, by that a bit. And uh, I, you were at that Thursday game with uh, Sherryland, Nikki Rowe, and um, Sherryland again proved why they're the best team in that district. And Nikki Rowe is still not right where they need to be. Um, 
you know, I, I will say this. I was a little surprised. I wasn't surprised Harlingen won, but I was just a little surprised that Edinburgh didn't put up a little bit more of a fight um, than they did. Yeah. And maybe that just shows that Harlingen is that much better than everybody else. I think – I think Harlingen just is that much better than everyone else. But it was close early. It was 7-7 for a bit. Harlingen used a fake punt, uh, much like they did last year, I think, in that uh, uh, game at Edinburgh. But um, from what I heard, it was 7-7 for a bit. I think it might have even been 7-7 at the end of one. And then uh, and then uh, Harlingen kind of just took over from there. I just think they have too much talent. I mean, yeah. they, there's not one guy on offense. Usually... In high school, and this goes for most parts of the country, really, but, um, you know, down here in the Valley, too, when you say, uh, when you take an offense, usually you say, let's take away this one player or this two players, or let's do a good job on these one or two guys, and we'll be fine. When it's Harlingen, there's like seven of them. I mean, you really just can't do anything. You have Randy Bermeo, one of the fastest runners in the state, um, on the outside. You have Brian Blake, who's a great quarterback. Kevin Ledesma is the best running quarterback down here. The backup running back for Harlingen, probably one of the top five backs in the Valley. He's so quick. Um, you have Omar Hunter, who's a good receiver. I mean, Charlie Powers. I mean, you just list every one of their guys who can catch a pass or run the ball. And they're really, really good. And I just, uh, you know, there's not many. I don't know if there's a defense down here that's going to be able to slow them down. Yeah, they're deep. I want, one other team let's bring up before we wrap up the segment here, Brendan. Donna, without their quarterback, you know, their quarterback is out. Broke his, I believe he broke his collarbone. Uh, they win going away 35 to nothing. That sets up an awesome matchup next week. Donna and Sherryland, both of those teams unbeaten. And uh, that, that has to be the game of the week, right? Well, there's two games of the week. There's uh, that one certainly is one, and then there's San Benito and Brownsville Pace down in 32-5A at Sam Stadium. So uh, I believe those will be both of our games of the week on Action 4. Um, definitely interesting storylines on both ends. Sherryland has won now 16 straight district games. But here's the thing with Sherryland. The game looked good on the scoreboard on Thursday night. They won 45-13. to the score at the end of the first half was 38-13. to 13. Uh, So that means in the whole second half, they scored one touchdown, and it came with about a minute and a half left. Sherryland's offense, and then also you say, well, at least they scored the 38 points early. Well, it was they had two punt blocks in uh, row territory, and they had two interceptions, or two turnovers, excuse me. One was a fumble, one was an interception. So really it was the defense stepping up and taking over control and giving the offense short fields. That's why they were able to score so many points. But I'm not completely sold on Sherryland, and I've been in a couple of their games, and I know that they've put up points and they've won, and you know, why should I second-guess them? All they're doing is winning. What else do they have to do? They, they are not winning in as dominant fashion as they did last year and I think as in previous years. They're still kind of getting used to these new guys they have. Yes, they have talent. Yes, they have speed. But they're still getting used to it, especially on the offensive side of the ball. So we'll see if Donna, being the control-the-clock, running-the-ball, physical defense type of team that they are, if they can actually get matched up with Sherryland and, and do something about it. Because Sherryland really hasn't been challenged yet. But I think if they are challenged, I, I want to see how they react 
uh, to a team that's going to, you know, possibly take it to him a little bit physically. Uh, this will be this will be the matchup then because we all know how Donna likes to ground and pound. They're throwing the ball a little bit more this year, but uh, they're a ground and pound team, a physical team, and you know. Uh, I think uh, Sherryland took Donna to the woodshed last year. I think Donna wants a little bit of revenge, so we'll see. We'll see how that uh, kind of plays out. Yeah, I think so. And Edward uh, Fryre is uh, having an MVP type of season, so their quarterback going down hurts them because they were throwing the ball more than they had in the past. But the good news for them is that they have an All Valley running back back there. So we'll see what they can do against the Rattlers. Absolutely. Well, that's going to wrap up the first segment. When we come back. You know, big time new sports movie came out. We'll talk a little bit about that as Moneyball hit theaters this weekend. That's all coming up next. This is Fitz and ADB on 956sports.com. You are listening to the only Rio Grande Valley sports podcast on iTunes. It's Fitz and ADB powered by 956sports.com. Follow the show on Twitter at Fitz and ADB. Like our page on Facebook by searching Fitz and ADB and email the show Fitz and ADB at gmail.com. Easy to remember. We all love a good sports movie. One came out this weekend is Michael Lewis's Moneyball hit theaters starring Brad Pitt as Billy Bean, the GM of the uh, Oakland Athletics. ADB saw it, and we started thinking, what are some of our all-time favorite sports movies? Always a fun discussion, always a great discussion. Which ones are awful, because there are plenty of those, too. And which sports movie hasn't been made yet that you would like to see? ADB, first of all, give me a review without spoiling Moneyball. I mean, we all know that the Oakland A's didn't win the World Series that year, or... Uh, have won the World Series since the uh, what was it the early '90s, but uh, what was the movie like? How, how was it? I, I would say you know I don't know how we do rating movies around here, but uh, I, I would give it you know going back to the Siskel and Ebert two thumbs up, man. I would I was really impressed. Uh, it, it was very well acted. I thought Brad Pitt did a phenomenal job uh, as as Billy Bean, and I thought uh, Jonah Hill's character he was actually playing Paul De Podesta. Uh, they changed his name in the movie, but uh, basically, you, you know, his his right hand man to kind of redevelop the whole sabermetrics thing. And if for the, nobody who's read Moneyball or understands the concept of Moneyball, you do get a little bit of a feel of of, of what it is as you watch the movie. They do a good job of kind of educating you on uh, on the whole sabermetric principles and you know trying to to buy wins as opposed to buying buying runs to buy wins as opposed to you know buying players with raw talent or who have put up the statistics that you really shouldn't be looking at. Um, it, it did a good job of dramatizing the whole 2002 season, or pardon me, was it the 2002 season? I think, I think yeah, 2002 season um, of the Oakland Athletics. And again, you're right, they didn't win the World Series that year, but at least it kind of breaks down on where they were at in terms of, uh, you know, that year they lost Giambi, they lost Johnny Damon, they lost Jason Isringhausen. And so they were basically starting from scratch, and and uh, it, it was just a really really fun movie. I thought uh, you know if you're a baseball fan, if you're a true baseball fan, uh, you'll really love the movie. Um, again, the, the acting in it was tremendous. Philip Seymour Hoffman played uh, Art Howe, the manager of the A's that season, oh, and uh, he doesn't look it like was, Art uh, Howe. 
<laughs> he, he looked great, man. He was oh, awesome. He? he really, really played a job, the the role of a big league manager. I, you know, he was really on point. I, you know, it was very realistic. And, and I've worked in baseball. I haven't worked in affiliated ball, and I haven't worked in major leagues. But I was in baseball for four years, you know, riding the buses and knowing what the baseball atmosphere is like in a locker room. It's all the same, rather right. than the, whether it's in the big leagues or not. But they did a good job of really, uh, you know, focusing on what the book was about and, uh, you know, it, it, I thought it was a really solid movie, and I think uh, I think uh, the reviews have been pretty solid on it. I, I recommend it to to any sports fan out there. Now, how much of it was? Obviously, it's a sports movie, but it doesn't seem to me like it would be a sports movie in the fact of showing a lot of the game stuff. Is it more office scenes, conference room scenes type of things? It seems like it would be dialogue heavy in explaining what it is and how they went about it. You know. It, uh, there are a lot of really good uh, game sequences, um, and they do a phenomenal job of intertwining like actual game footage and working in the actors who are playing their, uh, you know, respective play. Like someone else played David Justice; it wasn't David Justice, but intertwining the actual game video and and the actors to make it look like it's in the game video. They did a phenomenal job of that. There is a lot of office dialogue, but I think. That's what's interesting. That's those are the things you don't actually get to see, which is kind of interesting. Like you got actually there, there's a couple of scenes in the movie where you know Billy Bean is making trades and you right. know having his secretary call the you know the GM of the Cleveland Indians or the Phillies or whatever and, and trying to wheel and deal, and you kind of see how how shady the whole thing is in, in trying to one up the other guy. And uh, you know there's a scene where you know they're, they're in a room with all the head scouts and. Uh, so, so there is a lot of dialogue, but it's interesting dialogue because it's dialogue that you wouldn't normally see in a movie that's you know dramatizing a, a specific team getting to a point uh, of the season where they win a championship, like pretty much every sports movie is. This is actually getting you inside the mindset of what they're trying to accomplish, and uh, that's what I what I really enjoyed it. It was the sports movie that wasn't really a sports movie. Yeah, I uh, I was thinking it would be along the lines of Jerry Maguire, which tackles the sports agent type of thing. I know it's a romantic comedy, probably more than anything else, but it 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 viewed sports from the sports agent perspective. And although we know about sports agents and we hear all the stories and that sort of thing, that one kind of delved into it. So I thought that Moneyball was an interesting concept too, because it kind of goes behind the scenes of how these teams are put together, whether it's the sports agent side like Jerry Maguire or the general manager side like Moneyball, but it's it's the business side of sports or the behind-the-scenes things which leads to you watching your teams and leads you to watching what players are on your teams and ultimately you become fans of these players, but how does it happen? And even though they're fictional, t- well, uh, actually the Moneyball thing is true. That's what makes it really cool but right you know jerry Maguire's fictional but you can kind of see how things work like that and uh i do like those types of movies um i'm not really a movie theater person i plan on seeing moneyball for sure but i usually let it come out on a dvd or netflix or something like that because uh it's no guarantee that i'm going to make it through a movie if you put me in a dark room in a big comfy chair like that <laughs> i might doze off for 1350 that, that was my problem with my freshman archaeology class. It was a dark room at eight forty-five in the morning, and yep. that didn't it didn't. Let's just say I didn't make an A in that class. They put on a film strip, and you are yeah, it's just film strip drop. every single class, <laughs> looking at artifacts from like some dig that the professor did four years ago. I wonder if they 
still use film strips in high school. I don't know. I feel like the I bet technology... you they do it like some of those rural towns where like they don't get any funding and never right. buy new things. They write on the overhead still. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, okay, we're getting off, we're getting off topic. Yeah, no, that's, okay, yeah. so we're talking about Moneyball. You plan on seeing it. It was a good movie. I recommend it to anybody who goes out there. Um, I, I, let's talk about all time favorites, Brendan. I, I've got I've got several, and I think one that you're going to agree with me on is actually a pretty recent movie, even though it dramatizes a team from from a little while back. I know what you're going to uh, say. It and it's on my list as well. Yep, there you go. It, it's got to be Miracle. I think that there hasn't been a much more fun sports movie and and disney who usually does a crap job when it comes to do doing these dramatic movies in my opinion they they really nailed this one and uh i thought it was awesome i actually the premiere of it we actually watched it uh i think it was my freshman year at bu when it came out we actually watched it for free in in the student union they the the university bought the rights to show it um in the movie for uh uh, in the student union for free for all the students. And, you know, it was big because all, uh, half the guys went to BU and right. Mike Ruzio and he's part of the athletic department and all that stuff. Uh, so I saw it and it was just so, so well done. And the emotions and then the fact that it was a true story, um, they really did a good job of like pinpointing certain guys on that team uh, and making them really believable. And uh, they found some really good young actors to play, play the different uh, roles I thought that that's that's really one of my favorites, and then on the comedy side, I would have to go with Major League, and Major League One is the real one. Right. Uh, Major League Two would probably be on my worst ones, but uh, it's I'll go with Major League Hold and on. Miracle thought, for now. I think Major League Two is a serviceable movie. Maybe it was no Major League, but would you put it on your worst sports? Uh, yeah, of probably all time? not on the worst, but but I, I really had a problem with the, the continuity issues and the fact that Dorn was the owner of the team and is Jack Park. There's comes just over from the, the Jack Park thing like why would you sign why would you sign a catcher if you couldn't afford to catch you know right. there was just so many things that just didn't make sense uh from a baseball perspective that did make sense in major league one um which is why i had an issue with it plus i think there was like a five or six year gap between the movies but the but the actual events were back-to-back seasons so it just it yeah, just looked weird and <laughs> yeah, kind of throws the whole kind of thing off I've, i know i've seen major league um, but I'm more for, I would say I've seen Major League Two more times for whatever really? reason. Yeah, for whatever reason, I think whether it was on basic cable a couple of times and I caught it and uh, I can recite more lines from Major League Two than I can from Major League One. And I could tell you the storylines of Major League Two, how they got the Japanese player and, uh, <laughs> and then, uh, the, the catcher who couldn't throw back to the pitcher and, uh, the, the, the brawl among their own team, so they all got thrown out of the game. I mean, yeah, I remember Major League Two a bit more uh, than Major League One. Um, I'm trying to think. I was gonna, t- I was gonna say Miracle definitely is one of the best. It goes along the lines, and I, I think we can all agree that Field of Dreams, Hoosiers, uh, you know, those types of movies, those are all great, and those are they're they're kind of. Um, grandfathered in to me when you have a discussion for best sports movies it's almost like you don't even have to mention those anymore you know hoosiers is so good and feel the dreams they're all so good but they're they're older so you know we'll take into account the newer ones miracle is definitely one i think kurt russell uh, with her brooks his character was just like unbelievable he doesn't get enough credit for that because he played like uh 
some weird, you know, he dressed up like Elvis in 3,000 Miles to Graceland, and the people wouldn't take him seriously. But as Herb Brooks, he absolutely killed it in that. And um, I'll say a couple other ones here. Tin Cup, I think, is great movie that I can... So underrated. The type so of movie underrated. that you can just watch. If it's on tonight, I'll watch it. You know what I mean? I, I've seen it. Right. I know what's going to happen. But you just watch it. It's good actors, and it's... Uh, and it's a good story, and it's about something kind of different. You know, you can only see so many rah-rah speeches and things like that. It's, you know, a, a, a good underdog story at the same time. And then as far as comedies go, I'll never get tired of Happy Gilmore. And that kind of pushes the boundaries of sports movie because it's so far out there. But I'll never get tired of that one. Uh, what else is there? Um Shout any out that you like. Well, what, what, what about what about like uh, one that's kind of out there as, as a favorite? A lot of people, but uh, but I hear a lot of real conflicting opinions. Is Rudy? A lot of people love Rudy, even though you know some people don't like you know kind of the way that it, it's kind of over dramatized from the actual real story. And um, you know, well, I've heard so that Rudy's... that actual guy is kind of a kind of a loser like i think he, yeah. he i mean he really pumps himself up for being a kid who basically got his uh, butt kicked for four years in practice and got into play one game and now he's like you know he's goes around and he makes his money uh on speaking engagements you know as rudy and it's just like okay we get it but like live your life i did like the movie rudy though i think that's a good movie to me it moves a little slow sometimes like like for instance, now, like if it's on, I'll watch it a little bit, but I'm still flip. I'm still keeping the remote in my hand, and uh, and I'm still gonna flip. You know, it's not one of those that you kind of right. lock onto and love. It's and it's a lot of like the same thing over and over again. So, but I would say overall, Rudy's a good movie. I mean, if you sit a kid down who's nine years old who likes to play football in front of Rudy, he's gonna want to play football at the end of that movie. You know, or go to Notre Dame. One of the two. <laughs> or go to the Notre Dame and play football. But, yeah, I mean, so I think overall it's an inspirational story. It is a true story. So that's, you know, that's an, always an added bonus. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what about um, uh, the other one? It's the, the Rocky. And here's where we can start talking about best and worst because if you take the six Rocky movies, and, yes, folks, there are six of them, uh, you can find a – I think you can find a, a one for your best list and one for your worst list. Uh, of the Rocky series, what's your favorite and what's your least favorite? Well, it always was four. I mean, I think that's pretty widespread that people would say Rocky Four is the best Rocky movie. That's Really? Isn't that what you've heard? I've always heard that whenever you talk about Rocky movies, four is the best and then obviously five is the worst. I never saw five or six, and I've heard that I shouldn't have to see them or shouldn't waste my time seeing them. Um I really liked three. I thought that uh, Rocky three with Mr. T is a good one. I, I always enjoy watching that one. And I think isn't that the one where Mickey dies too? Yes, yeah. So I think that one is good. Um, four I thought was much better than it was, but then I watched it recently and realized how eighties cheese ball it is, and it kind of things because when you're and like you know it's uh it's a good story and it's cold war and it's russia and all that stuff but then you like watch it back and it's kind of like man did they, they really think that this was good filmmaking but i don't know i still I'll, I'll go default and say four is my favorite 
really four. I, I'm a little surprised, but I like the story at the end of four. But it's to me, you go from the very realistic and raw and emotional and awesome story of Rocky one to where, and then Rocky two. I really enjoy. I really enjoyed Rocky two. My favorite. I think it's because he wins. Maybe, maybe that's what it is because yeah. he actually you know gets his little revenge. Because I thought you know. Yeah, I love Mickey's line in the beginning of Rocky Two is like uh, those judges, you know, didn't know what they were talking about. This is the real guy who won the fight. Um, you know, I think, you know, I just think the story behind it. I, I really wasn't a big fan of three. Uh, I thought Mr. T's character was a little over the top. Five is by far the worst. Four, I think, is a fun movie. Four is the one that you watch, you know, for fun, and and if it's on, you'll watch it because, you know. You know, if the I whole, can the, change, the, he, and you can yeah. change, everybody yeah. can change. <laughs> I tear up every time. Uh, my, my favorite is with is what I don't even know what p- political position the guy holds, but the you know the Russian guy goes up to some you know the 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 trainer and says, "Look, our guy, our people, they cheer for him." You know, right? It's, yeah, uh, I thought that, that was him, hilarious. Idiota. It had a very, it had a very WWE feel to it. I thought so. I got, you know, it's, be it's right a up fun your alley. Movie. Yeah, no, it should be. It, I don't know. It, it's just it's um, of the. I actually enjoy. I don't know. We, we talked about Rocky Six. You've never seen it. It was actually a pretty decent story. I, I actually liked it. It's not 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 the, by far the best of the Rocky, but it's actually a, a decent, much better story than I had anticipated it to be. Uh, and it was a fun movie, but again, not not great. Uh, other worsts uh, you're thinking. I want to bring there. up another best one because you just mentioned WWE Go got me uh, thinking about something. The wrestler with Mickey Rourke was oh, awesome. Oh yes, that was a yes. good movie. Yeah, for those who haven't seen it, it's it's you know, and I actually saw I saw it when I was out in L.A. with the Vipers on a road trip because it wasn't shown in very many theaters. Yeah, uh, I saw well, it on Netflix. Talk, I got it sent, but yeah, it's 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 talk about a movie that you don't that was completely different than I thought it was going to be, and it took a while to figure it out. It took a while to be like, okay, is this gonna is this gonna change anytime soon? Is this gonna turn into this movie that I thought it was gonna be? And and it just stays the way it is. And if you haven't seen it and you check it out, you'll know what I'm talking about. But what an awesome movie. I loved the story. I just, I just loved it. I, I loved the realness of it. Um, yeah. I thought it was great. It's very And it's very realistic. Uh, very realistic to the lifestyles of some of those guys. If you've ever seen a, any wrestlers, old wrestlers at trade you know trade shows or card shows or you know doing autograph appearances, and just, yeah. that's basically all they have to, to make money. Yeah. Uh, um, back to worst. If you okay, like. so back back to worst. Uh, both of the sequels to the Mighty Ducks trilogy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I. <laughs> this is funny. I don't know if you saw the Charlie Sheen roast on Comedy Central. Uh, I did this week when he said um, it was Jeff Ross said uh, something along the lines when he was roasting Charlie Sheen that um, how can you be how can how could you be the black sheep's son. When your brother is the one responsible for three Mighty Ducks movies. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about, of course, Emilio Estevez, known as Coach Gordon Bombay of those Mighty Ducks. Yeah, um, Mighty Ducks 2, oh, that was awful. The international tournament against Iceland and stuff. But, th- but 3 was the... by far wor- the well, worst. Well, 3, I've I, I, I caught like uh, a little bit of it once. I understand that they went to like a prep school or something. And 
all of a sudden they were, you know, at some high school or prep school together or something. I really knew that I did not want to mess with that one. Because yeah, I, I mean, the story to me, I, and, and look, I've never been to a, you know, a, a, one of those types of prep schools before, or know how it all works. But basically, all the kids that were on the Mighty Ducks were given scholarships to some exclusive prep school, but they weren't on the varsity. They right. were on the JV. Who gives a scholarship to a hockey player to be on the junior varsity? Keep in and, mind, and, uh, keep in mind that this was also the. Uh, United States national team that somehow right. wasn't good enough to be in varsity at a prep <laughs> yes. school yes. in uh, you know upstate New York somewhere or something. Says so that's the that's what I have a problem with as a hockey player. I, I, I mean, I played hockey like through college, and it's just funny to me. It's just to get the U.S. I, national junior team, they don't take uh, the state champs from Minnesota and add five people. Yes. <laughs> yes. So I was already. Uh, Xnade on two, um, you know, before it even started. And then once I found out this Mighty Ducks three was about the prep school thing, but the problem was they were dealing with the big bad varsity kids, and they were the JV team. I just didn't even want to check it out. Yeah, uh, and, and the fact that Emilio Estevez is still billed as the star of the movie, and he was in it for like seven minutes, like <laughs> that, 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 that bothered me too. It was just it's a terrible, terrible movie. I'm gonna throw uh, out a bad one: Summer Catch. Starring Freddie Prinze oh, Jr. I actually saw that movie in the theaters. <laughs> uh, well, at least you got I, uh, I, I you w- got you got Jessica Biel life size, which is good. But. Well, yeah, that, that was I, I. I took a I took a, a it was a date. I took a date to go see see that movie. She wanted to see it because of Freddie Prince Jr. Uh, and I was just like, this is awful. And uh, <laughs> that's actually how I got introduced to the to the Cape League, right? Um, uh, you know, for those who don't know, that, I mean, that's a pretty prestigious wooden back collegiate summer league. Uh, a lot of ex big league, or a lot of people who end up going into the big leagues play in that summer league. It's pretty exclusive, well, but, I, but the story oh, was just awful. Yeah, it was just cheese ball. But and to me, it hurts me to say that um, that is one of my worst because you know, you mentioned the Cape League. I'm from Cape Cod, Massachusetts, right? And uh, when I was a young broadcaster, I was uh, uh, play-by-play announcer for one of the teams, the Katua Cataliers. Were you really? I didn't know that. Yeah, That's awesome. Yeah. And so we did their home games. Um, I did it with a with another you know play-by-play guy. He went to Syracuse University. I went to Ithaca. And then we were both from the Cape League. So the, you know, it, it hurts me to say that it was one of the worst movies because it was about the Cape League. It kind of should be like a source of pride for Cape Cod. And I think in some ways it is because it did showcase the Cape League for you know, part of what it is. But also it hurts me to say that because I've, I then met Freddie Prince Jr. at a poker table in Las Vegas one time. He was sitting right next to me. And this is no joke. I'm not making this up. He sat right next to me. He was playing some poker. And um, it took me a while to realize who he was because I was uh, out. I actually was only playing poker to kill some time because I was going to meet some people at a nightclub. Well, I never got to that nightclub because I was just winning money hand over fist. It was like I could not have been luckier <laughs> with poker. Like I was getting full houses against flush. I was like getting straights against two pair. I mean, whatever I did, I was winning and I was there to just get some free drinks. That's all I went and sat down for. I was like, ah, I won't really do much betting here. I just want to get some free drinks. Well, I free drinks. 
they started coming over fast. And Freddie Prinz Jr. sits down. He started doing some shots. And so I was, like, doing shots with Freddie Prinz Jr. All the while, I cleaned him out, like, twice. Like, I kept winning money <laughs> off of him. One time he one time he made a flush, and I, and he was just like, oh, I got the flush there. And he was just like, don't tell me you have the full house. And I was like, I'm sorry, man. And then there was another time where I didn't think I had anything, and I thought I lost, but I actually had a straight. I was that guy who, like, didn't know oh, that I was God. winning. It was awful. And then <laughs> – and as I said, because he wasn't really surrounded by people and he wasn't really getting approached by people as Freddie Prince. He honestly was just there to play. And some other people might have realized it was him, but um, they didn't say anything. And so after, <laughs> after a while, I was getting pretty loud and rowdy at this point. I said, I know who you look like. You look like Freddie Prince Jr. And he just kind of like buried his head on the table because then like, you know, everyone in hearing distance of me shouting that kind of like turned around and, and looked over and stuff. So that's my Freddie Prince Jr. story. So it's tough to uh, say that that's one of the worst sports movies of all time. But the bottom line is. Because is. he won so much money uh, <laughs> of Freddie Prince's paycheck because from that Freddie's movie. my buddy, <laughs> and we were drinking team. Red Lobsters, and I was, he was giving me some of his uh, hard-earned cash, and it was a it was a great night. And I'm from Cape Cod and the Cape Cod Baseball League, but you know it's uh for, it is what it is. When you watch that movie, it is total cheese ball. The way it ends, the way you have the rich girl who and like he's the he's the hard-nosed street tough. Let me tell you something. There's really not many the, people the, the that yard, are not the yard that. Guy. Yeah, I mean, there are yard guys on Cape Cod, but it's not like that class system that they made it out to be. So, I don't know. It's kind of funny. Uh, what what team did you uh, call games for? The Katuit Kettleers. The Katuit Kettleers, huh? The Katuit Kettleers, and they've actually changed some names because for yeah, a while, some of them have changed name because the team the uh, MLB names. teams were upset or wanted yeah, money or something. Yeah, the major league teams. Although I still think that they kept some. Like some of them, they let slide, and other ones they didn't. I wonder if it was on yeah, a team by like, team basis. Like Hi- yeah, like Hyannis. Uh, Hyannis was the Mets. Now yep. they're the Harbor Hawks. Right. Uh, the, um, and I think Chatham was the A's. They were the yep. A's in the movie. They're now the Anglers. They're the Anglers. But like you, but they but still, you still have the Red the Sox. A's, the Red Sox are still there. The Born Braves are still there. The Cardinals, the Orleans Cardinals, are now the Redbirds, I believe. They're the Firebirds. Firebirds, the Firebirds. that's what it is, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and then Harwich is still the Mariners. Harwich is still, still the, the Mariners. Mariners, yeah. And so, yeah, it was kind of weird. I don't know exactly what happened. Then you have the Falmouth Commodores, the Wareham Gateman, Brewster Whitecaps. Yeah, what a good league that is. But that is, uh, you know, if you can play in that league, you, uh, you're getting looked at by Major League Scouts, that's for sure. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Cool. I, I will see worst. Uh, I don't know if I have any more worst. Uh, There's a lot uh, that I haven't on... seen that I kind of don't want to see. Like Semi Pro, I heard is really bad, so I don't want to see it. Oh, I love Semi Pro. Oh, I'm a big Semi Pro. I wouldn't put it on my best, but I love that movie just because I like those Will Ferrell, right. you know, crazy, crazy oh, uh, movies. I think that Talladega Nights was horrible. I would. Put oh, that, you didn't like I Talladega would put that Nights. in the worse. I... I would put that in the worse. See, I, I see uh, on the. I want to, one that we missed on best, Caddyshack. Mm. Yeah, Caddyshack is solid. I mean, Caddyshack's we're not going to get all. I mean, there's been a ton. No, of no, no. We won't get them all. We won't get them all in. Some but, of uh, our some but, of our personal favorites. Yeah, exactly. 
I think we should wrap um, up this yeah. segment. Yeah, uh, yeah. Let's 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 wrap it up because we, uh, it, we, we could go on and on on worst movies like Kicking and Screaming or Like Mike or Next Karate Kid or something. Oh man, like that. Air Bud. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't end. The bad sports movie list does not end. The uh, the good one, there's only a few. So hopefully we got your favorite one in there. If not, uh, send us a tweet at Fitz and ADB or hashtag Fitz and ADB in your tweet. We can check that out or find us on Facebook or email the show, Fitz and ADB at gmail.com. We'll be back. Uh, final segment. Wrap things up after this. This is Fitz and ADB, Real Grand Valley Sports Talk On Demand. We're the only Valley Sports podcast on iTunes. Download it, subscribe to it, listen to it, let us know what you think. On Twitter, at Fitz and ADB. Like our page on Facebook by searching Fitz and ADB. And, of course, you can email us the show. Give us your questions, your comments, your thoughts, uh, topics of discussion you'd like us to touch on, whatever it may be, Fitz and ADB at gmail.com and we got some other news to pass along to you uh, a lot of news that kind of broke this week in the valley uh the real grand valley vipers have a new head coach and nick nurse who happens to be the coach of the defending uh champions of the d-league the iowa energy who actually knocked off the vipers in the d-league finals this year he becomes the new head coach and it's kind of a, a fitting selection uh, we'll talk about that. Baseball season winding down. NFL talk. We'll get to some of that. Uh, but uh, your thoughts, uh, Brendan, on, on Nick Nurse becoming the head coach? I thought it was the, you know, if it wasn't going to be Paul McKeskey, uh, it might as well have been Nick Nurse. And he gets into the NBA system and gets into, you know, a system that he's familiar with because we all know kind of the progression. Chris Finch will probably one day be the Rockets head coach. And then after a couple of years as the Vipers head coach, Nick Nurse will probably join Chris Finch's staff. I think we can see, we can kind of connect the dots if you if you're following along here. Yeah, I think it. I mean, it seems like a, a no brainer that they, if they could hire him, if, you know, if he was available and he was interested in coming down here, he's what the assistant coach for Finch on the Great Britain national team, right? Yeah. So those two guys are friends. We knew this uh, when they went head to head in the D League Championship Series last year. Uh, we knew that they were friends and familiar with each other and stuff like that, so it only makes sense to get them under the same umbrella. And obviously, Nick Nurse can coach him up. He coached to a D League championship uh, in Iowa last year. So, I mean, I think good things for the Vipers. I think the Vipers, especially with this coaching move, um, have established themselves as kind of the place in the NBA D League because, you know, they didn't win it this year, but. You talk about the championship in 2010. They got back there uh, to the finals in 2011, and now you get the coach from the from the team that won the championship. So obviously, it's a highly sought after market in the D League. Sought after job and to be part of the Rockets organization, and and you're seeing a lot of of guys um, around the D League. I mean, if you kind of follow the the coaching moves around, uh, you know, the D League, you know, as far as guys taking jobs just to get part of, you know, systems where uh, they're part of an NBA affiliate, a true NBA affiliate. You saw, like, Eric Musselman, for instance, who's a former NBA coach. He was at Reno last year. Now he goes to be the L.A. Defenders head coach because the L.A. Defenders are owned by the L.A. Lakers. Right. Uh, and and you, saw, you saw the same thing, like, uh, like, a, um, like Nate Bjorkren, who, would, who was in Iowa as the heir apparent to nurse, 
he took the job in Dakota because Dakota is now owned by the Golden State Warriors. So you're seeing the kind of the trend of, at these one-to-one affiliations where the team has control of the basketball operations and coaches, the young up-and-coming coaches want to take those jobs. And um, and it, it became important to Coach Nurse, who is from – I mean, it's a tough – that was a tough move for him to make. He's from Iowa. He was a big part of the uh, Iowa Energy even being in Des Moines. He helped build that – that uh, the fan base there based on the fact that, you know, he's such a well-known name in Iowa, you know, that's his home and he's leaving it to become part of this organization just so he can be part of the NBA system. And you're seeing how much, how important it is for coaches that want to get to the NBA of being part of the NBA team's umbrella. Now I have a question that you might be able to shed some light on. Um, why is it taking so long for these D-League teams to affiliate themselves with an NBA team or, like, like it seems like a no-brainer. Obviously, the coaches want to go to the D-League jobs where they're owned directly by an NBA team that runs the basketball operations. Is this something that the some of the NBA teams don't necessarily want to do because it's added costs for them? I mean, i got to think that uh, if any D-League team gets approached by an NBA team, they're going to say, please... Be, affili- be affiliated with us so that we can be your farm system. But what what's well, you, holding you, does isn't it a good system? It seems like a good system for the NBA to do this to have a minor league. Right, right. but it, you also have to look and it's still the old school mentality because let's, there was no true minor league system for basketball. Remember the the old CBA was really the minor leagues and guys would get signed to ten day contracts from the CBA, but because it was a separate entity, you know. Uh, you know, it, it just kind of worked out better, and the CBA was a much better league then than it ended up turning into before before it ended up closing. The NBA started uh, their D League, which has changed business models a few times. They w- didn't have affiliates when it first started, um, you know, and there were, wasn't assignment players that came with the last collective bargaining agreement. Uh, and whatever the new CBA says, you know, coming up, you know, we'll see how it affects the D League, but. The other thing is, is you only have 16 teams in, in the D League right now. Until an NBA team really feels like it's worth it for them to develop their own talent, uh, and they feel that enough talent is staying in the states to develop, um, they're not going to do it. I mean, a lot of things have to change. I think for us to get to the point where we have 30 D League teams for 30 NBA teams, and uh, you know, I, th- I still think we're we're quite a ways. I thought we were much closer. You know, when I first started the D League five years ago, um, then then we actually are. You know, we we've come a long way with so many teams now with this single affiliate. But again, you're just talking about actually having to double the size of the D League just to get those teams through those one to one affiliations. And uh, you know, some teams believe in it, like the money. The it's like going back to the Moneyball. Right. The Moneyball GMs believe in it. You know, obviously Oklahoma City believes in it, and they have a a perfect fit. In Tulsa, you know Texas, the Texas Legends with the Mavericks, uh, you know, you know, and then the East Coast teams are, are starting to slowly get involved. Like Springfield got getting, uh, they weren't purchased by the Nets, but they're a hybrid partner with the Nets now. New York actually bought uh, the basketball ops for the Erie BayHawks, and then the Cavaliers bought Albuquerque and moved them to Canton, Ohio. So. Uh, there's certain teams that that I know from my experience and talking with scouts that care a lot more about the D League than others. So, um, you know, it'll get once it gets to the point where you weed a lot of the people that don't believe in the D. Like Larry Bird, for instance, 
does not like the D League, doesn't doesn't see any value in it. And there's some teams that do see value in it. Until you get to that point, uh, you know, that's when you'll see the the radical change. I think that there's value in it that kind of touches on both the basketball side of thing and things and the business side of things because how many fans down here are Rockets fans that probably wouldn't be Rockets fans? I mean, there's 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 a lot of those, right? Yeah, and and for basketball being such a regional regional sport in terms of the fact that usually your your marketing you know footprint really doesn't go like for for instance people in Albuquerque, New Mexico, who is their favorite NBA team? Right, you, probably, you, you there's probably, open probably, season. You you put an affiliate in there, they're going to be the they're going to be. Um, you know, they're more likely Timberwolves to be fans. fans of, uh, uh, you know, if that's where their affiliate is. Exactly, and it's like you know, no, no matter where you are, it, it kind of sticks to the city and the surrounding communities. And then, in some places, it gets a little bigger. Like for instance, San Antonio has always kind of had the deep South Texas, everything further south of San Antonio, kind of Spurs country. Uh, but you know, as you see these affiliates kind of pop up, and it makes sense for the Rockets to try to extend their marketing arm down here because the Valley is Astros country. So if it's Astros country, why can't we try to make some of those Astros fans who are basketball fans Rockets fans? Right. And well, and you know, pay attention to them, and they'll be fans of yours. Like with the Rockets being down here for a couple of preseason games and having that training camp, you know, that little kid that shows up and gets to see. You know Tracy McGrady, or got to see you know you know whoever uh, suddenly is a Rockets Luis Scola suddenly is now a Rockets fan for life because he got to meet Luis Scola. You know, right? Well, also I think the problem is I think the problem with the D League and and why it's going to take a long time to grow and why some people don't see value in it is because a majority of the players are never going to see the NBA. You know, a majority of the players are guys that. Uh, either can't go to Europe or don't want to, and um, you know they're playing here. They're hoping for a ten-day contract or a call-up, and the really good ones are going to get it. And you do see plenty of D-League players getting called up. That happens, but it's not as much as you know. If you go to see a Pawtucket Red Sox game, those are future Red Sox, you know, unless they get traded and things like that. And not to say that all of those guys are going to be. But in hockey and in baseball, it's understood that there is extra talent and that we want to get it when it's young and we want to bring it along. And then when they're ready for the next level, then we bring them up to the next level. In the NBA D League, I mean, think of basketball. It's one of those sports where these guys are getting drafted when they're 19 years old or not as much anymore with the with the rule to go to college. But 19, 20, 21, all of a sudden, you know, if they're 24 – they're too old, but how many high draft picks have been busts that maybe would have been well served to be a high draft pick like they do in baseball, send them to their minor league system, coach them up the way they want to be coached, and let them have some success and kind of build some momentum because, you know, Kwame Brown doesn't have to step in and go against Shaq on day one, you know? Right. I mean, the mentality has to change. Like the mentality, mentality has to change from saying there is going to be a Kevin Durant once in a while. You know, there are going to be right. those guys, but there also are Greg Odens and, uh, like I said, Kwame Brown. And I remember the Celtics had Gerald Green at a high school, and it was just like he was the fourth pick in the draft or the fifth pick in the draft, and he was this crazy athlete. 
and it was like, oh, this kid could really be something special. And now I don't even know if he's in the NBA anymore, but he could be if he had maybe two years in the D League to get ready in an NBA type of system with NBA type of coaches with what the Celtics really wanted to do to coach him up instead of trying to get him eight minutes a game against the Orlando Magic when he, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you 100%. And I, I think, you know, in those sports, like you mentioned, who have a history of develop going through player development, and that really didn't exist in the NBA, you know, other than the fact that guys would play in the CBA for a couple of years and then, you know, they'd get signed to a 10-day and some would make it. But, you know, there, were, there was a lot of history of guys with 10-day contracts out of the CBA that eventually became, you know, 5, 10, 15-year NBA veterans. Mario Eli was a CBA player. You know, there I could. There's a you know, there's a list of ex CBA players that ended up with decent NBA careers, and and until until there's a mentality of truly committing to developing players, and that and when I mean that, I mean that financially, because even in the D League now, the players are taking a financial hit by playing in the D League because the most they can make if they're an A level player, I believe, is in the like thirty thousand dollar for the season. And when you can compare that to if that player goes to China, he's an A-level player playing in China. He's making $25,000 a month. Right. So, you know, you know until teams are really ready to commit uh, to a, a, an extra round of the draft where that third-round pick becomes an automatic D-League development player, and until they start committing finances – to the salaries of these players and increasing them a little bit. Right. Not a lot. I don't think you need to increase it a lot because I think there should still be the whole needing to make it to the big leagues. But do you go to a two-way contract system like uh, uh, like the hockey has? Or like in baseball, baseball's got, you know, you know, everyone – you talk about like guy like Steven Strasberg or those guys that signed those huge signing bonuses. Oh, the guy made $15 million. Well, yeah, he gets a signing bonus for $15 million, but his salary in the minor leagues is what everyone else in the minor leagues gets. You know, his right. weekly check is still $600 a month in and I think, single A ball. Right, and I think you could do that too. That might be an interesting road to go down because what if in a uh, perfect world someday if we want to build up this D-League – that instead of getting players to leave to go to Europe or China to make more money, you might get some of the good international stars to say, never too early to go to America and start playing in the D-League so that I can get ready for the NBA. You know, right. And then all of a sudden you build up the D-League as the place to be and um, you know, a really good minor league where you're one step away from the NBA. Right now, let's say you're a star in Europe and you're on the draft boards for next year, if you're a star, a European star in the D-League, you can get called up at any time during the season, you know? But right now you're in a situation where, you know, a guy in Spain who's 16 years old is going to make more money in the in playing in Spain at 16 years old than he would if he came well, three years case, later to play I, in the I mean, NBA. Then at, in that case, the D-League or the NBA wouldn't want him because they don't want anyone younger than... Uh, you know, so right, exactly. But what I'm, what I'm saying is, is guys, you know, you know, like all the Spanish guys that's been getting getting drafted here recently, they're going to make more money playing in the NBA after their draft class comes in. Uh, like who, who's the who's the kid that got okay. drafted by Minnesota? Ricky so, Rubio, not Sergio Lowell. The, what's the, Ricky Rubio? Yeah. If he comes over, his rookie contract's still going to be less money than he's making in Spain. So. If I'm if I'm Ricky Rubio, why the hell am I going to go to the NBA yeah. even 
and I'm good enough to be on an NBA roster now and still make less money than I'm making now. And while that's not the correlation to the problem with the D-League, it is in the fact that if guys can make more money there, why bother going through the development process? Yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, I think the NBA has a lot bigger issues and a lot bigger fish to fry these days than figuring out if the D-League is going to be a talent development league. Um, Absolutely. Because it looks like there's no NBA basketball until at least Valentine's Day. So, And also, uh, news as it relates to the Valley, no rocket launch officially this year. So you will right. not be able Well, to you know, the preseason schedule came out a while ago when they released the schedule, and there was no game on the schedule at all to begin with, So, which surprised me because there was a guaranteed commitment that Rockets were going to be playing for the next several years. There was no Valley game scheduled before this oh. whole cancellation. So that was a little bit of a surprise. Well, maybe they knew it was coming. That, well, <laughs> I think we all knew. I think we all knew it was coming. Yeah. Real, real quick, before we kind of wrap things up, I know we're going a little long. Yeah. Uh, baseball season winding down. Red Sox still struggling. Rangers, though, made made the playoffs again, and they seem poised to make another run. Yeah, the Rangers. I, I, I mean, I don't know, man. Uh, Have you are, paid more attention to no. baseball? Like we, we both <laughs> promised we would. No, I never promised. I you did. Oh, okay, that was me. That I was never promised. Me. I knew better than that. Uh, I watched some college football yesterday, and then I was talking to uh, Clay because we're both Red Sox fans, and he was just like, "Ah, oh, the Red Sox. Uh, I might just watch them this afternoon or whatever." And like honestly, if he didn't say that, I would have forgot that they were like even playing the Yankees this weekend, which <laughs> some people say is the biggest rivalry in sports. And I was like. Oh, I watched the uh, ASU USC game last night, but uh, and today I'm going to watch the Patriots and the Eagles ruin my life. So, um, no, but I I don't know. I know the Red Sox lost game one today. I don't know. I, I yeah, they're tied four four in the eighth I mean, as we're taping this, point, this right now. At this point, what is making the playoffs going to do? Because we're, whoever they make the playoffs and play in the first round, they're going to lose and get knocked out. So, you know, I'm chalking this Red Sox season up as uh, over. <laughs> But, uh, I, I, I'm trying to keep the faith. I'm trying to keep the faith. So, you know, we we were down 3-0 to the Yankees, right? So, a different team, but different era. But still, gotta gotta keep the faith. That Fenway. Yeah, you're more than welcome to keep the faith. I'll have football on, and uh, I'll check the scores on the bottom line. All right, good show, man. I yeah, it was a, I think we improved this week. I think that we improved. We didn't have any recording issues, so Skype cooperated on that one. I want to thank the fine people at Skype. Thank you. Um, let's just wrap it up. Uh, you can uh, follow us, as we said, on Twitter at Fitz and ADB. You can like our page uh, on Facebook. Search Fitz and ADB. We need a few more likes, people. Get on there. And uh, it has the links to all the shows on where to download them. And uh, you can email the show. Did I already say that? Fitz and ADB at gmail.com. I think we improved this week. I agree. I agree. It's getting better each and every week. We want the feedback, though. Just give us the feedback. Send us some emails. We want to do a mailbag. Is there a topic that we need to cover? Is there someone – do we need to interview someone, put them on the show? What would you like to see us do uh, for the show? And we'll, we'll try to make it happen. Thanks so much for uh, Alex from the Hood. Do people ever call you Alex from the Hood? Uh, all the time. Do you like it I prefer it or that no? over – it doesn't matter. Whatever. As long as they don't call me Ale Alejandro, I'm fine. Ale Alejandro. Yeah. Maybe that will be our theme song next week. 
<laughs> we'll see. All right, Alex, have a have a good week, man. We'll talk to you later. See you, bud. Fitz and ADB signing off. Thanks for listening.